This week, we learn how a 30-day camping trip turns into a 40-year nightmare of death and destruction. Well, welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, this is Brandon, and we're pastors at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, and today is going to be a great day. And like we said, um, camping trip turns into death and destruction. It's going to be wonderful. So we are in the book of Numbers. Uh, what's this book all about, Brennan? Oh, this is, this is a fun book. Um, aside from the, the stretches of incredible boringness that are in this book. They're definitely there. Admitted, admittedly. Um, there's some great stuff in this book. We're gonna, this is really the turning point for Israel mm-hmm. on their journey. Yeah. And um, not in a great way. But uh, it's, it's, it's an exciting book. So we're going to spend this week and next week digging into Numbers. Um, now we've seen some, you know, we've seen the context that we're in. It's important mm-hmm. to remember where we're at in the story, right? So we've seen Israel and Exodus. They were saved from slavery in Egypt, brought up by God's mighty hand through the plagues, awesome. through the blood of the lamb, through the Red Sea, right? All these amazing pictures of God's salvation. And in Exodus 19, they're shaped into a nation. They're, they brought to Sinai, they're given God's law. And then in Leviticus, we see they're given a sacrificial system as well. Mm. So a way to practice purity and all these rituals, and most importantly, the sacrifice of animals to ensure that they can access God. These are all pictures of the importance of purity in the life of a believer. And, uh, and God is now dwelling in their midst. So they've been given all these tools so they can know God and, and relate to him. That's amazing. And I mean, the, the story has been pretty amazing up to this point. And they have everything they needed, what it seems like, to be successful in their lives and being obedient to God. They have literally God is dwelling with them now, and they're about to enter the promised land. And everything's, they're set up for success and everything's going to be okay, right? Well, well, yeah, maybe not so much. So everything's looking great, except for this huge problem that they are sinful, terrible people, mm. and they still want to be in slavery in Egypt. So that's what we're going to see in numbers. Well, it's, it's pretty sad. I mean, there is some, you know, we can kind of laugh, you know, three and a half thousand years later. I don't think it's too soon to, to have some, you know, to <laughs> laugh a little bit, but it really is a tragic tale. Right. So, so, we're, so the book is called Numbers, possibly the worst book, for, or worst name for any book in yeah. human history. Why, why is it called Numbers? Um, well, yeah, so maybe it's obvious as you're reading it why it's called Numbers, because there's a lot of counting taking place in this book. Yeah, like the bookends of it, right? Yeah, so yeah. at the beginning and the end, there's the, these uh, census, censuses, sensei, who knows? Sense in. Sense in. Sen- yeah. yeah, so there's a census at the beginning and a census at the end. And so it's it's named uh, Numbers for that reason. Now, the oh. name in in Hebrew is actually Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. Wait, can I, I'm going to try to say that. Bamidbar? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, Got it. in the wilderness, which is just, just as bad of a name, really. It, it's not compelling. I always thought it was Numbers because of the multitude of Israelites that were destroyed by God's wrath. That's why I thought it was called Numbers. <laughs> well, that makes sense as well. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of the reason. I don't know. But, um, you know, basically, what I'm trying to say is Moses needed help marketing this book a little better. <laughs> Like you have people being <laughs> swallowed up by the ground. You have it's exciting. People being burned by a fire and snakes chasing people. Around. I mean, there's a lot of excitement in this book. I always um, thought this would be a great miniseries for you know a television show. Yeah, the book of numbers would be pretty exciting. Probably pretty R-rated, but yeah, yeah. People probably. getting skewered with spears. Yeah, there's a lot of I- interesting things. But anyway, but it, it is a fascinating book, and the major theme is really that Israel is terrible but God is still going to be faithful to his promise. Mm, so yeah. we see this toward the end. We won't get there today, but 
at the end we see Balaam cursing Israel or trying to curse Israel right. and God's turning curse into blessing. So it's, it's really beautiful that God is, even though Israel is rebelling against him, this whole book, they're sinning against him, God is still faithful to his promise to Abraham and through the work he's done through Moses. Yeah. He's going to save his people. Seems like I've heard that multiple times about God. Yeah. Even up is, to this point in yeah, the Bible. It's pretty exactly, cool. Exactly. So we, we enter in the first couple chapters of the book of Numbers. Um, and the first couple chapters, we see uh, Israel hanging out on Mount Sinai. And then we have the census. So, like, let's just break it down. What, what is the census really about? So the census is not counting every single person in Israel, okay. as we would think of a census. The census is counting uh, men of a certain age. Really, it's, it's men that are of an age where they can go to war. Right. So this is not just any sort of census. This is a counting of the army of God. Right. And we've seen this already in the, in the Bible that uh, Israel is being spoken of as a as an army. Hmm. In Exodus 13, 18, we see Israel being spoken of as the hosts of God. That word host means army. Right. So even in Exodus, God is speaking of, of Israel as his host, as his armies. Hmm. And so here we have the army being arrayed, ready to go in, move, you know, march toward the promised land and engage in battle to win their homeland God has promised them. Right. So that's the point of this census, really. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so and we also get a bunch of weird details, too, about, like, how even the camp is going to be arranged. Like, it's not only that there's this group of people wandering in the wilderness and they're God's people yeah. and they've been brought through water and fire, but what's what's happening? Why is the camp so arranged? Why are these details in the Old Testament here for us? Yeah, so this, again, shows, you know, the arrangement of an army. But the big thing that you can see with the—because basically it's God's tent, you know, his house. In the, the center. Right. In the center, yeah. Right. And then the different— um, the, 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 the tribes. The tribes, yes, yeah. that's the way I'm <laughs> The tribes are split into four different groups, essentially, that emanate out from the middle. Okay. So, you know, north, south, east, and west. Mm. So the tribes are all sort of in blocks around that, around that central piece, which shows us that God's glory and his purposes are at the center of Israel's life. Right. So we're seeing this. And again, we're seeing this, these, we saw this in Leviticus, right? Every single detail of how they do everything points to God, his holiness, his glory, the centrality of him in their lives. Yeah. I think it's a little bit like just order. God's a God of order, right? He's not a God of chaos and unorganization, but he brings order to this world through his people, right? Mm-hmm. So, and through his Absolutely. Will. Absolutely. So. so Israel's God's army, and they're given this command to march out uh, from, from Sinai, and they begin to move toward the promised land. And what we see in chapters 5 through 10 is is talk of more ways that they can be pure. So if if they're God's army, then they have to be they have to relate to God in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right? In order to have victory in battle, they have to be pure. And so chapters five through ten are talking about uh, more guidelines for purity in the camp, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And there is some weird stuff though. Like, what's up with you know the suspected adultery stuff? Like, is again, I get this question asked all the time of people who are new to the Bible or who are you know you know, anti-Christian of the best, you know, yeah. or at least don't, just don't like the Bible because it seems sexist when you read verses like this. So is the Bible being sexist when it comes to these, you know, uh, laws or uh, regulations around suspected adultery? Yeah, so chapter 5 has this test for adultery, and it's specifically for a man who is jealous of his wife, mm-hmm. and the wife is put on trial to see if she's committed adultery. So a lot of people, like you said, they would think, well, this is... This seems sexist, right? A, a man's able to put his wife on trial. 
Um, but what we don't we don't realize often as we read this is the cultural context that it's in. Hmm. So this this command, right? Basically, what it's what the the test is is very simple. It's you t- the woman comes um, with her husband, and they drinks. see if she weighs the same as a piece of wood, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, she's she she takes some of they take some of the holy water and they mix some of the the dirt from the tabernacle floor into the water. So not very appetizing drink, right? <laughs> this isn't this isn't a Pinot Noir or something. But she she drinks that and then if she's lying about her adultery, about claiming to be innocent of adultery, then there will be a physical effect on her body. Hmm. So it'll be visible and clear for everyone to see. So through some sort of miraculous working. Now in other law codes at this time, the punishments were well, I'll just I'll let you guys decide. Which punishment would you want? So would you want to drink some nasty water? Or would you want that what is commanded in Hammurabi's law code, which I was looking at this week, that if you are suspected of adultery as a woman, you're thrown into the river, made to swim a certain distance, and your fate will be determined by the river gods. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, now that's like Salem witch trials thousands of years before Salem, right? I mean, they didn't invent that. That wasn't right. actually, this was this is already a thing. Um, this is, that's pretty rough. Or uh, trial by heat which is you would stick your hand into a boiling pot of water. Fun. I don't know how, like, what the test... It's kind of a weird test. Like you have to make really, it past 10 seconds or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I think a lot of these tests were meant to... The woman just dies. Yeah. Like, it's, pretty, it's pretty awful. So, obviously, the, the difference here is that the, the, the law keeps a husband from inflicting any sort of damage on his wife because there is actually an objective test. That will not harm her at all if she's innocent, right? Yeah. Because I think in a lot of cases, if a wife was committing adultery or a, a husband was jealous, even if she hadn't committed adultery, there could be abuse in that case too. Right. So the law is actually um, showing a much better way than the nations around them. Interesting. Fascinating. <clears throat> so um, we have this vow too. What's up with this Nazarite vow? What's the point of this? Um, is this supposed to be something that every single person you know, does? Yeah, chapter 6, the Nazarite vow, very famous. Um, this is for somebody who is taking a special oath to honor God. This okay. is a sign of special devotion to the Lord that you could do this. Typically, it would be for a set period of time, right? So a lot of people believe that, that the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18 mm. took a Nazarite vow, right? Yeah. When he shaved his head after making this vow. So the vow, what it was, was it was, it was like I said, usually temporary and exists in three parts. Right. One was don't touch wine or anything right. associated with grapes. So right. don't touch a grape, don't touch a vine, don't touch anything. Um, separate yourself completely from the mm-hmm. alcoholic drink. That was the only real form of alcohol back then. Um, the second part would be don't touch dead bodies, even of your relatives. Right. You do not defile yourself by touching a dead body ever. And then, of course, most famously, don't cut your hair. Right. So they let their hair grow long during this, this period. They'd abstain from these things, and it was assigned to others in a visible way that you were devoted to God. Hmm. Now, of course, some of the most famous Nazarites in Scripture, um, John the Baptist, right? He's pretty famous. Yep. Prophet Samuel and Samson, of course. Yep. Probably maybe the most famous. Samson, I don't know. Yep. Sam, yeah. So th- those guys, I think we forget Samuel sometimes. Right. He was actually, uh, uh, all those guys were Nazarites from the womb. Hmm. So it's kind of, that, that's unusual. To never ever cut your hair in your entire life is weird. You used to have really long hair. Do you take this vow? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, maybe inadvertently because I I've, I didn't touch any dead bodies during that season, and I also did not drink wine. Uh, so there you go. I guess so. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, moving on, we got chapter eleven, and um, this is when it gets exciting again, right? Mm-hmm. So Israel, unfortunately, they're set up for success. 
you know, they can taste the promised land. It's right there. But they don't make it to the promised land. What do they do? Instead of being obedient to God, instead of loving him and trusting him with everything, what do they do? Complain. Like oh, always, my word. Right? Israel. Grumbling, complaining, bemoaning their terrible fate that they've been saved out of slavery Oh, let, Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to genocide. And slavery. Oh, that was so great. Man, maybe, remember when our babies were killed? Remember that? That was awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, uh, like... You have to you have to laugh a little bit at chapter eleven verse five, right? I always think this is the funniest thing. You know, oh they say, oh that we had meat to eat in verse four, and then verse five, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> really, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Um, not not all the most appetizing foods. For, no, I'm like oh I just want some leeks. You know, but but now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing that's made to look at. I mean, they're saying we used to get free food. You know, I'm like yeah, what? Why was it that you got free food? What was it? What were you, you know? Yeah, no, you were you were, you were slaves I, to I, a tyrannical government. I will say, uh, after doing the carnivore diet, um, I understand the desire for leaks and simple things like that. So I'm just gonna <laughs> I say, I've never had a leak in my life. <laughs> well, neither have I, but I, I kind of wanted after only eating meat for a period of time. Anywho, <laughs> but yes, they 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 you know complain very quickly as they set out, and God's wrath comes right. Yeah. Really quickly. So I do want to tackle this a little bit. Like, what is, you know, how do we work through God's wrath on in this whole book? Because it seems pretty harsh. Yeah. Well, in the, in the book of Numbers, we see that God is going to judge very quickly. Mm-hmm. Before this, he was a little, he was a little more lenient and a little slower to judge. But here, I mean, verse chapter eleven, verse one is just very clear, right? The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them. So immediately God's responding to their sin with judgment. And the reason is because now the people don't have any excuse. They've been given God's law. They've seen the appearing of God, not God face to face, but they've seen God in the, the, you know, thunder and the smoke and the fire. They've seen the power of God. They've seen his salvation. Hmm. These people know better and they know exactly what God is asking of them in his law. And yet they won't follow it. Yeah. So that the law brings with it a blessing, which is you know God's will, but it brings a burden as well, which is right. you have to follow his yeah. law. And if you don't follow his law, then judgment comes swifter and harder than it would otherwise. Right. And it's 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 crazy because like God's people had already committed their lives to him too verbally. It's not that they just have seen God act, it's that they've promised to obey. Yeah. And then they run from him. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, we see we see this you know attitude from them, and really, I mean, we can understand that we also fall into the same sort of thing, right? Yeah. That we can we can look back at a life of sin and say, oh, I was happier, it was more enjoyable when I lived in sin mm-hmm. than being saved by God's grace, and right. yeah, so we're we're often guilty of the same thing, mm. and we have to we have to fight that temptation, right? Yeah, it's very it's very subtle, but but Moses <laughs> gets angry too. So we go down mm-hmm. to verse eleven. Moses is starting to get more and more frustrated with God. Um, he does. He does not like what's happening. You know, he he's challenging God. And we know, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Mm-hmm. Um, verse twelve. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? You should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child. Uh, wh- he said, how am I going to feed them? Why have you given me this? And actually, in verse fifteen, he says, uh, or verse fourteen first, he said, I'm not able to carry all these people alone. This burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I found favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Mm. He's, I mean, he's asking for God to kill him. 
this right. is this is extreme, right? right? God, Moses is at a very low point here, um, and so and we're going to see the worst in Moses come out in some ways in this book. Oh yeah, but God, but, but God cares about His people. He cares about Moses, and so in the second half of this of this chapter, God provides help for mm. Moses. Yeah, He provides His. He says He's going to put His Spirit on more people than just Moses. Mm. So God's going to give His Spirit to others. And what we see at the end of this chapter is a really famous um, portion where, you know, some people are prophesying in verses 24 and 25. People are prophesying in the camp. Mm -hmm. So God's spirit is moving through them. They're speaking God's truth um, just like Moses would. And some guys, you know, Eldad and Medad come up to Moses and they say, Moses, you got to stop those guys. They're prophesying. And Moses' response is really important. He says in verse 29 of chapter 11, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, mm. that the Lord would put His Spirit on them? Yeah, I bet Moses would want that. <laughs> he would want to yeah. help too. <laughs> Mo- yeah, Moses. Moses understands that the ultimate purpose of God is to put His Spirit on all of His people. Mm. Moses wants that. He yeah. wants to everyone to have the blessing that he has. Yeah. So so, and that's gonna that's gonna be fulfilled later on in Scripture, obviously. Yeah, I think a small you know applicable point too is like. We're not God. We don't have the power of God to, you know, manage vast amounts of people the way that God can. And we, we can't even even our own lives, we you know, we have a hard time organizing that. And so like God is showing us the inadequacy of humans, I think, a little bit here and saying, yeah. Hey, like through me only are you gonna be able to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, right? Yeah. So Moses doesn't want that. He's a smart leader in that sense. Right. So at the end of this chapter we see the quail are brought, God brings this huge flock of quail, <laughs> but with it Right. He also like, brings punishment. So you want food? I'll give you food. You want meat? I'll give you meat. Right. Give you all the meat you want. And I'll also bring sickness with it. And so God mm. God strikes down people with a plague. It's and very then, sad. And then we, you know, moving on in chapter 12, we yeah. again, we have... But vast, wait, it gets worse. Yeah, it gets it, worse. exactly. Now it's it's not only just the people, but it's, it's Moses' own, right? Aaron and Miriam. Yeah. So it's like, and they, you know, fed up. <laughs> yeah, Moses. Yeah, Aaron and Miriam are challenging Moses' leadership. The fact that he he married the woman he did, right? Um, and and Moses, um, it, it says in verse three, he's he's a very meek man, which maybe yeah. is an indication that he wasn't going to challenge their um, ba- you know backstabbing of him. Yeah, right. I've always wondered about that. That's a you know seems a strange thing to you know label him right there, but yeah, especially yeah. if he's the one writing it. Right. Yeah, know? that's true. Um, but. But I think, you know, if he's inspired by God, he's speaking truthfully. I think he could have written that. Some people say that maybe someone came back and kind of filled that in later on. Mm. But I don't I don't see any reason to believe that. No, and I think I think some aspects of it match up with his previous character when God first calls him. He's very like, you know, people shy. <laughs> yeah. Know, so to speak. Yeah. So, so but but God wants to vindicate Moses, right? Mm-hmm. In verse eight, he indicates that he's Moses is special in God's plan. Right? Yeah. I speak to, to Moses, you know, face to face, right? Mouth to mouth is how he, how he puts it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he, God challenges Miriam and Aaron. Why are you not afraid to challenge Moses when I've given him this sort of authority? Mm. Yeah. And so Miriam, who is the older sibling, right, is struck with leprosy, and Moses intercedes for her. In verses 13 and following, he intercedes for her. He asks for God's mercy on her. This is a huge theme in Moses' life, which, which points us forward to the work of Christ, right? But he's interceding for her, asking for God's mercy. Yeah. And God gives mercy because Moses is interceding for him. Yeah. Amen for the, the mediators of God's people. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So and then we get to kind of the central event of the book, which right? is in and chapter you've probably heard it before. The spies go into the promised yeah. land, right? Yeah. <laughs> and look at this. I mean, this is this is fun. So a, a secret mission here, 12, 12 spies from Seal 12 Team tribes. 7 from Israel. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and in verses 17 to 20, they're given their mission, which is, which is very important, right? Mm-hmm. So it says this, Moses sends them out, and this is the command he gives them, go into the Negev, that's the southern portion of, of Israel, and into the hill country, and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the, the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good, good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the reason I, I, I read that is because as I read it, you can probably hear that he's given to them. The, kind of the key word throughout that is or. Hmm. He's saying, is it a good land or a bad land? It's a binary mission. Right. Give me, uh, you know, yes or no information. <laughs> is it good or not? What are the cities, you know, cities are strongholds. Like, just give me information about right. the land. Not included in this is give me your thoughts as to whether we should go in and, and right. obey the commands of God. Right. Right. He just wants to know what is the, just give me the basic information. Right. Um, that's all he wants. And so at the end of 40 days, in verse 25, very important number, uh, 40 days, mm-hmm. this, this period we've seen already of, of testing, and, and, you know, it's prominent in the, the flood, in the life of Moses, and of course, um, in the wilderness wandering, we're going to right. see this in a minute, but 40 days that were there being tested by God, whether they'll be obedient, and the response of the spies is... Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible, yeah. So verses 27, 28, they, they say, you know, the land is great. It actually says that they brought, verse 23, they brought a cluster of grapes that was so big, they had to put it on a stick and carry it between two guys. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a lush, I mean, a beautiful land. Right. right? That's, the, that's the picture. And so verse 27, they say, you know, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Right. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And we saw the descendants of Anak there, who's a giant. It's crazy. Like, okay, even if there are Nephilim here, even if there's these crazy, super strong humans, these great men, like, even if there's a bunch of those, like, you just saw God... All the ten plagues, yeah. giant hail from heaven, you know, spread the Red Sea, split it in half, and consumed an army with it. Like they know what God can do to anything and has control of anything in this world, and yet they're still terrified. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, and th- I mean, this really is the test of faith, right? You get into the promised land by faith, right? And hmm. they're going to show here they do not have faith in God, right? Even though they should, yeah. They become faithless, and but God is still faithful, right? As we're going to see, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the people rebel. I mean, Caleb does stand up. So two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, are going to be the ones who push back on mm. this. Caleb says, let us go up and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Right. Right. But there's a bad report coming from the other spies, and the people join in with that. Right. They, you know, in, in chapter 14... They say, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, <laughs> or would that we had died in this wilderness. They'd rather have death than life. And so they say in verse 4, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Yep. I mean, this is complete apostasy, yep. turning from God's mission, no faith at all in God. Mm. They'd rather go and be in chains again, right? And so Joshua stands up and gives this, this really amazing speech um, that you think would be enough to convince them. They say, 
he says, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Mm. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Mm. We're going we're gonna to devour them, man. <laughs> These people are nothing. The, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So, I mean, this is a, this is a speech about the nature of faith. Right. He's saying, don't you see how big God is? When, when, again, when you look at us and you look at the giants, the giants seem huge. But, right. but, but Joshua is comparing the giants mm. to God. Right. He's comparing them to who they should be compared to. And mm. he's saying, there's not even a comparison. Right. Why are we having this conversation? Right. And so he's, he's urging them on, saying God is good enough. I mean, and really this is, a, this is about the fear of the Lord. Mm. He's, yeah. saying, he's saying, don't fear them because we fear God. And God is much more fearful than these people. Right. Yeah, we should be afraid of the one true and living God who has power over all things. Yeah, absolutely. But And then Israel's response, right? They want to stone him. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, oh, yeah, um, amen, preacher. No, yeah, it's, no. let's Kill stone him. Kill him, yeah. So um, pretty bad. And then God's response, verse 12, is, stand back, Moses. I'm going to kill all of them. Right. And I'm going to make of you a nation greater than right. they. And and Moses, this is the this is not the first time God has said this, but Moses intercedes on their behalf, mm. right? Moses pleads with God not to destroy them, to have mercy on them, right? And God does forgive, right? Right through Moses' mediation, God does forgive, but He still says there's going to be a penalty. So He's not going to hold them, He's not going to destroy them, but there's still a penalty for their sin, right. which They're, is that for every day, the spies were in the land. They're going to spend a year wandering in the wilderness until every single person who's an adult at that point dies off and a new generation can come in. Right. Don't you think it's a little harsh? I mean, I'm coming back to that idea of, you know, you know, and I do think it's hard for our culture to understand, like, God's, you know, justice and wrath, like, because we don't like any part of God's justice and wrath in our culture. Like, what's up with God's justice here? Yeah, I mean... God, God, just to see the kindness of God that that's, he's working here, because hmm. obviously he does something that is harsh by our standards, but God really should have killed them. Right. Um, I mean, they re- that's what they wanted. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean they're, they're saying, I w- wish we had died previously on this journey. I wish we had died in slavery. Hmm. I wish we were still in slavery. Any of the above, right? So that would have been absolutely fair for God to do hmm. to them, because that's what they wanted. But God instead sustains them, he gives them bread right. every single day by his miraculous work. He gives them water miraculously. Uh, in Deuteronomy, we see that he actually was... They, they wore the same clothes the whole, the whole trip. Hmm. They didn't, make, didn't have materials to make new clothes. And he says, I kept your sandal from falling apart. Right? There's no wear. <laughs> there was, there's no, there's no you know, problems with your clothes. You weren't in rags, but, but you actually had the same quality of clothes. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. So God is sustaining them actively every single minute of their journey. Mm. This is, I mean, this is beyond gracious of God. Oh, yeah. And he's literally living with them. <laughs> he's, like, he's still living with them. Yeah. He's still there showing his grace to them, giving his word to them, allowing them to come to him and worship. There's so much of God's grace here. But we can't forget that sin always has a, a penalty. It always has a cost. Right. And so we see that really clearly. Um, we see God's grace, and we also see God's justice. So at the end of, the, of the, this chapter, chapter 14, they, they decide, oh, well, this is bad, so we're going we're gonna to go follow God. We're going to go into the promised land. We're going to attack some people. 
and they attack you know the city and they get routed and they come back and and mm-hmm. I mean Moses is saying the whole time like God's not going to bless you why are you doing this right but that's they they disobey God um, and then they want to obey him later and mm-hmm. it's too late so this is this is the nature of, of Israel as we've seen right well moving on to chapter fifteen um, we see it again. It seems like we keep hearing repeats of stuff, um, more stuff about laws and sacrifices. What's yeah. that all about? So, yeah, so we see this chapter 15 is just, uh, for some reason, sacrifices are brought back up. And for I think the purpose of that is to remind the people that God is still working. Um, God still has a plan to cover up their sin, to bring them to the promised land. Mm-hmm. God's purpose for them is not finished. Right. And so it's, it's a good reminder, as they've just made their biggest mistake, that God is still going to, to allow them to relate to him. Right. Yeah. Amen. Um, chapter 16, 17, Course Rebellion. Big idea here. Um, yeah. Another big tragic event, which mm-hmm. is Korah, who's one of the Levites. He basically says to Moses, verse 3 of chapter 16, you've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves mm. above the assembly of the Lord? In other words, he, he wants a democratic form of leadership. Right. <laughs> Moses, we all we all know God. Right. And you think you're better than us. Yeah. Why? What makes you leader over us, right? And so. and that's of course not the point. Moses <laughs> didn't exalt himself. God chose him for that task. Right. So God sees this as a challenge to him. Um, verse thirteen. Uh, this, listen to the statement. Right. As the as the people are complaining, they say, "Is it a small thing that you have brought us up <laughs> out of a land flowing with milk and honey?" <laughs> to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself a prince over us. <laughs> it's crazy. So it seems to me, as I'm reading that, that they're identifying Egypt as the land flowing with milk and honey. Right. Again, just a just faithlessness and It's totally backwards of what truth is, right? Yeah. So, so it, yeah, God's trying to bring them there, and they want to go back to the, to the old land again. So, so God is angry. Verse 21, we see God's anger unleashed. And Moses and Aaron intercede in verse 22. They, they step yeah. between God and man. Because no doubt, I mean, he's, they're totally right. Like, they're, they will die in the wilderness now. But that wasn't the plan from the beginning. Like, they should have been into the promised land. They should have gone to the true land of milk and honey. Yeah. But because of their own actions, they're going to die in the wilderness. And now they're blaming someone else again for their own sin. Yep. So Yeah, so God says, all right, Moses, step back. You don't want to be here when I nuke the people, right? And, and Moses and Aaron say... Are, shall one man sin? You'll be angry with the whole congregation. God, don't do this. Mm. Show your grace. Show your mercy. And God says He will, but I'm going to destroy Korah and, right. and his and his people. And so, um, yeah, as as you mentioned, we see in verse 32, the earth opens up and swallows them yep. with all their households. Yep, uh, that's a that's it's pretty crazy. brutal. Yeah, and it closes up again. Wow, yep. gulp. And so the people learn their lesson. They never sin again. No, actually, verse 41, they complain again, right? The next day. <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so painful. <laughs> but all the congregations of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. Ah. The next day, yeah. Saying, you have killed the people of the Lord, as if Moses was the one who did this, right? <laughs> and so verse 45, God is furious, right? Again, he says, get away from them, that I may consume them in a moment. And, and he begins a plague, right? And Moses tells Aaron, Take your censer, put fire on it, and carry it to the congregation and make atonement for them. So God's plague had been unleashed. It's spreading to the camp. It's, it's killing people. And so Aaron does uh, a very priestly act, right? He, he just stands between the plague and the people. Mm. 
making atonement for them and rescuing them from the wrath of God. Yeah. So I mean, these are all big pictures of what it means for uh, a priest to be a priest. Right. Right. To, to stand between God's wrath mm. and the safety of the people. So chapter 17, we see actually there's a confirmation given here that Aaron is the real deal. Right. That he is the, he's the right high priest because his staff blossoms at buds basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I do, I do want to, before we, we want, I want to get chapter 20 here. Um, we see more duties of the priests and Levites in chapters 18, 19, right. um, more, more laws given. But chapter 20, um, Miriam passes away, and we actually see, again, the people complain. They, um, they're upset with Moses. And so Moses and Aaron are told by God to go to this rock to speak to it, and, and it will yield water for them. Right. So remember previously in Exodus, they had struck a rock, and the rock had brought forth water for them. Yep. But God here tells them to speak to it, and this is what happens. It's Moses and Aaron in uh, chapter 20, verse 10. Yeah, instead of speaking to it, they hit it, right? Yeah, they say, yeah. Here now, your rebels, shall we bring water to you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his <clears throat> staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And God's response in verse 12 is to say, <laughs> um, You've sinned against me, and you're not going to go into the promised land. Yep. That seems pretty harsh. Right. That does seem pretty harsh. But what's happening here, I, I like Tim Keller's quote. He says, what did Moses do wrong? Of course, he failed to follow instructions. He struck the rock instead of speaking to it. That is disobedience. Nevertheless, God's rebuke goes deeper. It calls them, in calling them rebels, Moses sets himself up as their judge. In saying, must we bring you water, he sets himself up as their deliverer. Right. Everything Moses did pointed away from God and toward himself. Mm. That's, that's, a, that's a great point. So Moses, who's been faithful in so many ways, is, is pointing to himself as uh, the, the source of salvation and judgment for the people. Mm. And that dishonors God. Yeah, obviously wrong, obviously deserving of justice, and like a loving thing for, for God to correct him, his people. I mean, even for us to be corrected with that is, is a loving, gracious thing by God. So yeah. I, I think that's always the truth with God's wrath. At, at first look, as a human, because we're sinful, because of our you know uh, broken minds, when we look at God's wrath, I think most of our you know knee-jerk reaction is to say injustice, right? Yeah. But I think if you always look closer into into God's justice and His wrath and why He's enacting those, it's actually a gracious thing. So, yeah. so let's see how the how does the gospel connect with all all this stuff in the book of Numbers? Oh, again, a lot of wrath, a lot of destruction, a lot of you know boring stuff. But how does all this relate to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah. So in a few important ways, right? Well, obviously, one of the biggest pictures we see in this section is the forty days and what becomes forty years right mm-hmm. in the wilderness. And um, we often forget this, but Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness. He was wandering. corresponds to that. They were tested by the spies going in. Mm -hmm. He goes and has his own test. Mm. And Jesus, unlike Israel, passes the test. Right. Right. He's faithful to God perfectly. So we've seen that already, but this is another point that's brought out. Yeah, amen. We also see in Hebrews chapter 4, really an extended um, discourse about this account and why it matters in terms of us entering the promised land. Mm -hmm. So look at Hebrews 4. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, speaking of the people of Israel Mm -hmm. at this time, um, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, 
they shall not enter my rest. So we see already he's comparing our faith to the faith of Israel. He's saying they didn't go into the promised land because they didn't have faith. Hmm. So the, 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 the centrality of faith is so, so, so important. So his charge to us is to believe. Hmm. Just as Joshua was going to bring them into the rest of the promised land, Jesus has, has done the work to, to bring us into eternal rest. Right. So we have to believe. So look down at verse 7. He says, um, again, he appoints a certain day called today, <laughs> saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Mm. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Right. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered his rest is also rested from his works, just as God did for his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So we could go through this whole chapter, but the big deal there is he's saying the rest they eventually got, that new generation that was called into the promised land, is not the final rest. Hmm. God's constantly in the Bible speaking of a greater rest to come. Right. So we have to see the importance of faith, trusting in the work of Jesus, right, knowing that he can bring us to the promised land um, of eternal life with him, and, and remember um, the, the burden of disobedience and right. what that did for these people. So author of Hebrews wants us to know that. Right. There's a better rest waiting for us, and so we should trust in Jesus. Yeah, amen. Amen. And then the last thing I think uh, we can see is the, the rock of Moses is referenced later on in Scripture. Yep. So we, we see this, you know, this repeated idea of this rock bringing forth water. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul speaks about it. Right? He said, he's speaking of the people of Israel, and he says, they all ate the same spiritual food, they all ate the same spiritual drink, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So they drank mm. from a rock. That's, that's clearly speaking of them getting water from a rock. Right. And Paul says this rock is Christ. Crazy. What, like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. it's, it's very strange, but the, the idea seems to be, the best that I think we can make of it, is that Jesus is known as the rock, right? He's that solid foundation for us. But Jesus is struck by the rod of God's wrath. Right. But he's struck by the rod of justice so that life can pour forth. Right. Right? Metaphorically speaking, life comes from Jesus. He's the one who gives us eternal life, just like this rock was. Right. Uh, this rock did, and, and it points to the life that's found only in Jesus. Yeah, amen to that. Amen. Anything else for the Gospel Connection? Oh, yeah. One quick last thing I, I forgot about, which is, um, we saw Moses talking about the importance of God's Spirit being on everyone. Mm. And like I, I mentioned, oh, we yeah. see that in Acts chapter 2. Right, right? Yeah. Acts chapter 2, God's Spirit is poured out on them, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God and access to God is democratized. Right. right? The average person, a nobody, can have full, unfettered access to God yeah. and have a life shaped by His Spirit. Yeah, we don't need Moses, we don't need the Pope, we don't need other, other mediators. We have the ultimate mediator now, right? Yeah. So we don't say like Moses, oh, man, it'd be great if people had God's spirit. Well, we see that. We see that all the time. Yeah. God's spirit is working through those who have faith in him. Yeah, amen to that. Well, that's all we got for today in the book of Numbers. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, and we'll see you next week.